Coben. I listened to um, Brother Copeland, Brother Renner, Brother Winston, Brother Duplantis, Brother Moore. These are the folks that um, I love to speak into my life. You got the Victory Channel. You, you don't have to have the Victory Channel. You can do it online, the, the app. Um, but obviously, that's this passage is a passage that those brothers uh, turn to frequently, and it's one that we have turned to frequently. Um, but we're going there for a different reason tonight, so I'm excited about that new and different reason. Amen. Let me talk to you for a moment um, to set up where we're headed. For some weeks now, we've been in a sermon series based upon this statement here. Faith will flourish in an understanding heart. Faith will flourish in an understanding heart. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rewind back for a minute, and then we're going to make a run at this, but we're going to take another, uh, another road along these same lines. The Bible's very clear that God has given to every person the measure of faith. And the Bible says that the faith that God has given you, it resides in your heart and it works from your heart. Think of your heart as the home base for the measure of faith that God has given to you. In the same way that a bulb... A light bulb, it resides in and works from a lamp or a light fixture. Your faith resides in and works from your heart. It actually happened to me two days ago again. I go to turn a lamp on and the lamp won't come on. We've all been there. And our first thought is the bulb's blown. Something's wrong with the bulb. And so let's fix the bulb, let's replace the bulb. But on rare occasion, the bulb is fine, it's a problem with the lamp. Now when we talk about the measure of faith that we've been given, a lot of times when our faith is not producing the results that, that we need for it to produce, that we would like for it to produce in our lives, that the Bible clearly says it will produce in our lives, we have a tendency to think there's something wrong with the faith instead of something wrong with the heart that the faith resides in and works from. If you look at it carefully in the scriptures, you know, the disciples would say things like, Jesus, give us more faith. And he would say, if you've got a measure the size of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. You know, it's, 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 the faith's not the problem. Compare what Jesus, you know, the amount of time Jesus spent teaching us about faith and the measure of faith compared to the amount of time he spent teaching us about having the right condition of heart. Jesus spent far more time talking about the conditions of our hearts than he did about the quantity or the measure of faith, of faith that we've been given. Because I believe he knows what, what it's important for us to understand, that if the heart's right, the faith will work. So we spent some time looking at this because when we start talking about the kind of heart that our faith needs to, to be able to work and produce results in, one of the first things that we, we went to is the importance of an understanding heart. You cannot believe beyond what you understand. And I don't, I don't mean like you've got to understand how it's all going to happen. We use the example, a lot of different examples over the, the, really the course of the summer because we spent a long time on this. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a classic example. The baptism of the Holy Spirit with the uh, gift of speaking in unknown tongues is for every born-again believer. But if you understand something different about it than that, if you've been told that it ended with the apostles, if you've been told it's not for everybody, if you've been told it's... See, again, it's hard for your faith to produce any kind of result if your understanding about that subject is does not line up with the Word of God. Righteousness is another example. If you don't understand what the Bible says about your righteousness, it, it's going to be very difficult for, your, for you to exercise faith in, in those things if, if you have a wrong or incorrect understanding. Now, we looked at 
this centurion who came to Jesus and he displayed the greatest faith that Jesus had witnessed in his earthly ministry. And so we spent some time looking very closely at what this man understood. The last thing we looked at was, a, was point number 12, and that was that he understood the importance of asking. And then we've taken a lot of time to look at what the Bible says about how important it is for us to ask. You have not because you ask not. Everyone who asks receives. Up until this point, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask the Father that your joy, that you may receive and your joy may be full. So many different passages in the Bible, we didn't even cover them all, that, that express to you and me the importance of asking and asking correctly. Now, I promised you 13 points on that. I'm just going to mention number 13. I'm not going to try to develop it tonight. But the last thing that the centurion understood was he understood how to make it easy for Jesus to help him. Have you ever tried to help somebody who made it very hard for you to help them? Now, if, if you have um, an answer for me on this, I will gladly receive it later, okay? But to the best of my understanding and recollection, this is the only man Jesus ministered to that was actually concerned about Jesus' time, that was concerned about, you know, was he... He was like trying every way that he could to make it convenient for Jesus to do a miracle for him. He was like, well, you don't have to come to my house. I'm not even worthy if you'd come to my house. But it's not necessary. Just speak the word. He was actually interested in making it easy for Jesus. He was interested in, in um, making it as convenient as possible for Jesus to do in his life what Jesus obviously wanted to and was able to do in his life. And when we come to him with all these, I'm not worthy and this, again, you're just, you're just muddy in the waters, okay? Just the bottom line is he wants to help you. He's good at helping you. Let him help you. Quit making it hard. Amen. Now, tonight I want us to, um, to look at some other things pertaining to our heart because not only will faith flourish in an understanding heart but here is another condition of heart that's needed faith will flourish in a merciful heart faith will flourish in a merciful heart now the opposite of merciful you know, someone who who shows mercy is is someone who is is forgiving I, I started out and so just stay with me when we talk about a merciful heart we're actually talking about a couple of different things that are all connected and related so when we say faith will flourish in a merciful heart, we're also saying that faith will flourish in a forgiving heart. Faith will flourish in a forgiving heart. Because you, you can't have a merciful heart and not be a forgiving person. In other words, if you refuse to forgive someone who's wronged you, then you are refusing to show mercy to the, that person who's wronged you. So when we say faith will flourish in a merciful heart, connected to that is a heart that is forgiving and you're willing to forgive. I don't have a slide on this, but write this down. Faith will not work in an unforgiving heart. It, it'll flourish in a forgiving heart, but it will not work in one that refuses to forgive. It will lock your faith down. It will shut your faith down. It will prevent your faith from producing anything in your life if you hold on to unforgiveness. So let's go again. Faith will flourish in a merciful heart. Faith will flourish in a forgiving heart. And then also related to that, all connected to this, faith will flourish in a non-critical and non-judgmental heart. Non-critical non-judgmental heart 
Let's take a minute or two and, and, and let's connect some of this together. Do you see how merciful, forgiving, non-critical, and non-judgmental are all related and connected to one another? You, you can't have a merciful heart if, if, if you're judging and critical of everyone and, and passing judgment on everyone. That, that's the complete opposite of a merciful heart. You, you can't have a merciful heart if, if you're not willing to, if you refuse to forgive people who have hurt you and who have wronged you. So faith will flourish in a merciful heart, faith will flourish in a forgiving heart, faith will flourish in a non-critical and non-judgmental heart. The more critical we are of other people, the more judgmental we are of other people, the greater the hindrance it is to um, our faith and its ability to produce results in and through our lives. All right, so let's go to Mark 11 now, a familiar passage, verse 22. So Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you will have them. And so last week we were looking at the difference between praying to God and speaking to a mountain. And we said the, the, the simple rule of thumb is that we ask God for good things, we, in the name of Jesus, and we speak directly to obstacles that are in our pathway or bad things, we speak directly to those things in the name of Jesus. So it's two different ways that we exercise our faith to receive results. Every good gift comes down from God, James 1 and 17. Then we, we don't ask the devil, we demand that the devil be moved. We, we speak to him, we rebuke him. Okay. Now, notice, and there's a pattern, you see this in other places in the scriptures, that Jesus begins verse 25, and whenever you stand praying. So you never begin a sentence with and. So and is, is connecting to what we've already looked at. So he's explained to us about speaking to problems and issues He's, spoke, he's taught us now about asking the Father in His name and believing that we've already received. And then He says, And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. So he's talking about operating at a very high level of faith, moving mountains, mountain-moving faith. Whatever we ask God, we receive. But he adds to it the importance of when we stand praying. Notice it says, and whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone. There's, see, we're always looking for wiggle room here. We're always looking for some way to justify this. Jesus left no wiggle room here. Anything against anybody, forgive. But pastor, you don't understand. No, no, anything against anybody. If it, if, it, if it falls under anything, and if it falls under anybody, then forgive. That's, only, that's, really, that's, that's, that's the only thing we need to know, is anything against anybody, forgive. Now on Sundays we're talking about learning to trust God. And we've already mentioned this once. We'll, we'll, we'll keep on in, you know, just building on this and, and emphasizing this. And that is that Father will never ask you to do anything that's going to hurt you. You've got to trust Him. See, if you, if, you, if you don't trust His intentions for you, and, and man, we see a whole lot of people in Scriptures who didn't. You just brought us out here to kill us. Don't you care that we're dying? Are you kidding me? Nothing can be further from who He is or, or what He thinks about you and the desire that He has for you. So, Anything he asks you to do, it's with your best interest in mind. And if he's asking you to forgive anybody for anything, no exceptions. Come on, no exceptions. I understand that there are people listening to me right now that have endured some of the most horrific mistreatment, some of the most horrific abuse, 
people who have hurt you, people who have wronged you, people who have betrayed you, people who have abused you. Some of you even have been abused by the very people who, who were put on this earth to protect you and take care of you. Some of the, some of the gravest and most horrific betrayal that exists in, 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 amongst human beings. But when he says anything against anyone, forgive, he's not just looking out for what's best for that person. He's looking out for what's best for you. Now, we said on Sunday that the ways of God, and we listed a whole bunch of things. I'm not going to go back through all that. But another thing I want you to pay close attention to as, as we work through this is the connection between forgiving and giving or the connection between what you need to receive from God, your, your daily provisions and, and, and your ability to receive them connected to your willingness to forgive. All, all of these things, all of these things are connected and related and, and importantly so. Now, if I was to ask you tonight, and, and I'm, again, you know, back when our foundry brothers were getting to come, I'd ask a question, and I'd do that in class with them, and, and, um, and they know to shout out the answers. Well, I'd ask a question, and the brother shouted out the answer, and lifeblood of any relationship. Who, what's the lifeblood of any relationship? He shouted out, communication, you know, which he got it right, you know. The next day, he goes, you know, I got to thinking that maybe that wasn't appropriate in, in the worship service. I said, man, it's fine. I said, I'm just glad you got it right. I said, that's always my concern is when, is when somebody, especially when they shout it out that confidently and, and they give me the wrong answer, you know, then I'm like, can I make that work? No, I gotta, I gotta clean this up some way, you know, so. Um, but what, what does the word forgive mean? To forgive, what does it literally mean? And, um, I'm just as honest with you as I can be. I, I've never looked the word up in the original language. Or at least I don't recall looking it up. And I think I would have recalled it because the, the meaning of the word really shed to me. It sheds new light or fresh light on, on what it means to forgive. I think a lot of people have trouble with forgiving another person because of what they think it means. Okay. Forgiving someone for what they've done to you does not mean that what they did to you was okay. Right? Forgiving someone for what they've done to you doesn't mean it's okay for them to do it again to you. Right? So the word forgive is a Greek compound word when joined together literally means to let go from oneself. To let go from oneself. To let go from oneself. One more time. To let go from oneself. I'm going to put a familiar passage up on the screen. Matthew 6 and verse 9. It says, In this manner therefore pray, our Father in heaven, anybody remember this one? Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Anybody know the next verse? For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, again, I want... There's so many things in here. The part that I have probably emphasized and preached the most over the years from this model prayer is... You could probably... Those of you who have been here, did you know what it is? Come, kingdom, be done will of God on earth as it is in heaven. I mean, I, that's the battle cry of the church. That's, that's, you know, we're wanting to see the kingdom resources, the kingdom authority, the kingdom wealth, the kingdom power, all of these things. We want to see them present on the earth so that the will of God can be done here as the will of God is being done in heaven. 
But after Jesus gave us this model prayer, he chose to go back and emphasize one aspect of it. It wasn't that his father is, is my father too, our father right in heaven. It wasn't the part about the kingdom. It wasn't the part about the will of God. It wasn't the part about our daily bread. It was the part, or his kingdom, uh, thine is the kingdom, the glory, and the power forever. What was the part that Jesus went back after he gave us the model prayer? He went back. What was the part he repeated? What was the part that he emphasized? Forgiveness. Forgiven. Now, it's interesting when he says, um, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So let's go back to what does forgive mean again? Forgive means to let go from one's self. To let go from oneself. Let's spend a minute here talking about how we are to understand this to let go from oneself. You see, whenever we are wronged by another person, that person, whether they ever acknowledge it or not, that person becomes indebted to us to make it right. This isn't something that I said or that, that, that necessarily even people have said. God is a just God. God believes in justice. God believes in if, if you've been wronged, it needs to be made right. You see, this is why God couldn't just look the other way at, at, at people's sin. It's why like God just couldn't pretend like none of us had ever sinned and just move on. Let's just move on. Nothing to see here. No, you see, if, if I wrong Brother Bruce, there, a debt has been created now that has, that has to be paid. And for God to just say, well, let's just pretend like none of that happened, that's not fair. That's not just. If, if, if I go and, 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 and take a, you know, steal a bunch of money from somebody, well, you know, God, forgive me. He's, he's quick to forgive. I'll confess my sin. He's willing to forgive me. But, but a debt has been created now. Are you seeing this? So whenever we are wronged by another person, that person becomes indebted to us to make it right. Whether they ever acknowledge that they've even wronged you, much less that they now owe you because they did. Guess what happens whenever we wrong another person? Same thing. Whenever we wrong another person, now we become indebted to that person to make it right with them. So whether we've been wronged or whether we are the one who has wronged another person, debts are created in, in those offenses, in those transactions. Well, it doesn't stop there. Whenever we wrong God... We become indebted to God to make it right. So when we forgive others, we let go from ourselves the debt that we are owed. That's why to forgive means to let go from oneself. To let go from oneself is completely opposite to what far too many people do. They hold on to those things. What are, they, what are they holding on to? They're holding on to, I don't, I don't know how many, again, I'm trying to break this down so we can really understand what it, what it means to forgive. When A lot of times it's just what they've done to me, how they've hurt me, how they betrayed me, how they this, how they that. But what, what we don't understand in the process is that we're actually saying that because they've done this, somehow they owe me damages. And, and we keep waiting for them to somehow make it right. You do realize that, that there are folks listening to me right now, you have been wronged by people that there's no way they could make it right to you. I mean, they, they're folks who have, have suffered at the hands of other people, and there's not enough money in the world. What, what, do you, what do you do about someone who had their childhood stolen because they were being physically or even sexually abused by, by adults or, or other family members? You, you can't, how, how, do you, how do you give back somebody, you know, 
you know, the first 14 years of their life. It's, it's, you can't. You can't. And, and if that's you holding on to that, waiting for somebody to pay you back and make that right for you, you see. So when we forgive others, we let go from ourselves the debt that we're owed. What are we saying? We're saying, I'm not expecting them to make it right with me. I'm not. Now, if they want to, if they wanted to come and try, then that's another opportunity for you to be merciful. Okay? But this idea that, that can, I, can I just make it really simple and maybe this will help you connect with it better? Have you ever said these words, she owes me an apology? Well, she owes me an apology. And what you don't realize is that in your mind, she owes you a whole lot more than that. She owes you a big apology. She might owe you a little groveling. She might owe you, you follow what I'm saying? She might owe you, how about this one? She owes me a public apology. So in other words, what are we saying? That we've been wronged and now there's a debt that's been created and, um, and before I'm ever going to let this go, what's owed me is going to have to be paid to me. To forgive is to say, she don't owe me anything. She doesn't owe me an apology. She doesn't owe me a public apology. She doesn't owe me a private apology. That doesn't mean you don't accept it if they want to bring it to you. But forgiveness is, I'm letting go from myself any debt, indebtedness that has been incurred to me by other people. Man, I hope hope I'm saying this plainly enough for you to understand it. So, we know from Scripture that an offense is a trap. What's an offense? It's when some other person does something that you take offense to. I want you to pay very close attention to the way I said that, that you take offense to. Just because someone offers you an opportunity to be offended, that doesn't mean you have to take it. The Bible's very clear that we should not take an offense when it's offered. Jesus said the offenses are going to come and woe to the one from whom they come. But just because an offense is presented to you, you don't have to take offense. You don't have to be offended. And listen, we, the world we live in today, and, and I, I understand that I don't, I don't understand and know everything that goes on in the world and everybody in the world, but from my experience, it seems to me like people are far more touchy today than they have ever been, at least in my 54 years of life. People are so easily offended today. It's, it's almost as if people are looking for a reason to be offended and I think that is a byproduct of taking an offense. In other words, because once, once we are offered an offense and we take it, it puts us in a position of, of, of looking for, you know, we become hypersensitive to, to other offenses that are out there that, that could be available. The word offense, I probably should have made a slide for this, the word offense in the original language, in the original Greek language, is the Greek word skandalon. It's spelled with a K-S-K-A-N-D-A-L-O-N, skandalon. Obviously, we get our English word scandal from it. But scandalon doesn't mean scandal. Scandalon is the stick that sets the trap. It's the bait stick. So if it's a mouse trap, you put the cheese on the scandalon. What is the scandal on? That's that little lever that when the mouse steps on it, it sets the trap. This to me is one of the more brilliant words and, and, and because it gives us so much insight in, into, into what an offense is. It, it is a trap that is set by the enemy where he is wanting us to become offended at someone. Now, before I go any further, related to this, Related to this is when you take 
someone else's offense. It's, it's where you, you, no one offended you, but somebody you love has been offended by somebody else. And now because that person was offended, you're offended too. They don't just owe her an apology, they owe you an apology. <laughs> it's like, what in the world? So an offense is a trap. If we take the offense, we take the indebtedness that comes with it. See, if you never take the offense, then she doesn't owe you an apology. But the minute you take the offense, now you're owed something. Now watch this. This is where it starts getting more serious. As long as we hold the other person in that debt, we remain in a place of judgment over them. Do you see this? Started out with an offense that we were foolish enough to take. And now the person who offended us owes us. And as long as we hold on to that indebtedness, we remain in a place of judgment against that person. So somebody, somebody uh, goes into a lawsuit and um, they receive, you see it sometimes, uh, uh, <laughs> Heaven help us. You see it on these billboards, right? All these in, personal injury lawyers, right? And they'll say something like, $10 million judgment. Okay. Well, they're, they're wanting you to see that, and you think, well, maybe they can get me some money. Okay. But when it says $10 million judgment, you understand what that means. The judgment means that some judge said that, that this person has to pay this person $10 million. That doesn't mean that person's paid them a penny yet. It's now, and now a judge has said, okay, party A owes party B $10 million. In other words, we call the, the debt owed from an offense a judgment in a court of law. It is a judgment. Are you seeing this? Now, this is where... It starts getting serious. I've told you for years, I'll remind you again, the devil doesn't play checkers, he plays chess. He's not just trying to, to jump you and get you to crown him. He's, he's trying to take, take you out. Okay? And if you understand the difference between a game of checkers and a game of chess, both involve strategy, but chess is a much longer game. The devil will play the long game with you as long as you let him play the long game with you. And so notice, the devil is trying to get you in a place of judging other people. That's his ultimate goal. He's trying to get you to assume a position of judgment against other people. So how does he do it? He starts out with the offense. Now, so-and-so has wronged me, and now they owe me, and I am holding on to this debt until they pay it, which means you now have, whether you meant to be in that position or not, you have now um, allowed the devil to deceive you into occupying a position against a person where you are in judgment of them. Now, I got a question somewhere deeper in my notes. I don't know if we have time to get to it tonight or not. But, but let me just mention it, and then we'll look at it in greater detail either tonight or, or next week, all right? Is it still judging if the person is obviously wrong? See, this is another area where the devil deceives us into assuming a place of judgment over another person is we think we're okay to judge them if what they're doing is obviously wrong. It's obvious that they've wronged you. It's obvious what they did was wrong. I mean, you, you don't have to know anything about the Bible to know that that person should have never said that to you. They should have never done that to you. They should have never treated you that way. They should have never acted that way. All that stuff, right? So it, to us, it's like the low-hanging fruit of judgment. It's like, well, anybody knows that. But see, again, the devil, 
Jesus didn't say only judge if the person is obviously wrong. He just simply said, do not judge. He didn't say only forgive if it's a minor offense and the person didn't mean to. Jesus set the ultimate example for forgiveness for us, right? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. They didn't accidentally beat him almost to death. I guess what I'm saying. They, they didn't like, you know, trip over, you know, the, the, the edge of a, of a shield and, you know, accidentally punch him in the face and rip out half his beard as they were on their way down trying to stop themselves from falling. They, they, Jesus was not the first person they, that they had ever done that to. They knew exactly what they were doing, at least in a physical sense. Now, you know, after, afterwards they're going, Shazam, this guy really was the, the son of God, you know. Here is one of the things that I try to do when I have opportunity to take an offense. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And even if they did know what they were doing, I still forgive them. Because, see, that's what the devil's, because, I, I, you know, I try to just forgive them because they don't know what they're doing, and the devil's like, they knew exactly what they were doing, Jack. They plotted that. They put some thought into that. I mean, that wasn't just a, are you following me, right? You know what I'm saying? I had a, I had a, you know, I'm not, keep your violins in their cases. I'm not asking for any pity, but I had somebody kind of attack me on Facebook the other day, you know. And um, I'm like, no, no, he, he, he knew exactly, he knew exactly what he was doing, right? Um, he may have been intoxicated, so obviously, you know. So you know, it's very easy to say, well, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Then the devil jumps on that. It's like, yeah, they, they knew. They, they, they knew. They took a cheap shot at you, right? So it's like, even if they did know what they were doing, I still forgive them. They don't owe me an apology. They don't owe me nothing. They do not owe me a thing. I'm not going to take that offense. I'm not going to be offended. They don't owe me an apology, right? Because I'm not going to judge that person even if they're obviously wrong. I'm not, it's not my place. Getting quiet up in here. I, I was kind of expecting, I kind of was, so Lord, I know it's going to be quiet in this message, so I, that's okay, all right? Well, he stole $46,000 from me. I have forgiven him. Do I still go after him? So, for those of you who are watching online, we have a gentleman that said someone stole $46,000 from him. He's forgiven him. Does he still go after the money? Um, I can only speak for myself personally. Uh, as a former businessman in world, in other words, I'm in the father's business now, but I owned cabinet business for many years, and um, I still have to, uh, in other words, the people that never paid me, <laughs> I still have to at times go, man, you know, I could have I could have bought John Mark a car or that money. I could in other words, you know, the enemy still tries to um so on two occasions I took people to court and and a judge made them pay me. On maybe three or four other occasions I I just said, Lord, I'm I'm gonna let you uh I forgive them and I'm gonna let you work it out and I trust you to make it up to me. And and he has many, many times uh, over, many, many times over. So um, to quote Keith Moore, my brother, uh, a thousand and one questions could be answered by two words, be led, you know, be led by the Spirit. Um, if, if the gentleman who stole that money from you is a fellow believer, then that falls into a different category than someone who, who is not a believer. The Bible says we shouldn't be hauling other believers into a secular court, that we should take it before the church and, and let the church... Um, you know, make those uh, calls and, and, and those kinds of things for us. But um, without putting your business, somebody may heard your voice and they may know who, who's, who's talking. But, um, you know, I know from just what you've told me about what the Lord's doing in your business right now that that's, uh, to a lot of folks, that's a lot of money. But to you, that's, um, yeah, he's, he's holding up his fingers about like that, right? This man who does... Two or three hundred thousand dollar jobs or more, um, million dollar jobs all the time. So, 
and has more work than he can get done before sometime in 2022, I think. So, um, amen. Anybody for anything, even if it's large sums of money um, like that, because what I've, what I've learned in, um, and even the, the building that you're sitting in right now, I had someone that, that really, really wronged me and, um, in the ministry. And, um, and my brother uh, prophesied to me that um, not only would the Lord make it up to me, but that because I had built his house, this was the word from Matthew to me, that because I had built his house, the Lord would build me a house. I was thinking, you know, three bedroom, two bath, full basement. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking, you know. <laughs> I was not thinking 10 acres in a 30,000 square foot building in Hueytown, you know, but, but amen. So, um, but of course the word was that I had to keep myself straight, right? And that's, that's the thing because when I say the devil plays chess, see, he wants to use what other people do against us to get us messed up in our hearts so that our faith won't work and won't function. So when Father says just to forgive them, it, it, and, and, and what it means to trust Him to forgive them, and I, I know this isn't, I know it almost sounds like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth, and I, I don't want you to think that this is the case. Um, Father's going to take care of, of, of you and and he's going to show mercy to that person. But if that person doesn't get it right, there's judgment for that person as well from God, though, not from us. See, that's, that's where I think a lot of times, you know, when the, when the Lord says vengeance is mine, um, and, and he, he's going to recompense. What does that mean? It means he's going to take care of you if you've been wronged by other people. And it also means he's going to deal with that person, right? Um, and so... That's why the merciful heart, merciful heart, amen. Let me, I, I feel really compelled to say this, and we'll talk more about these things next week. I'm out of time tonight. Um, sometimes it's very easy for us to substitute words. And, and instead of calling, judging other people, judging other people, we come up with more creative. It's kind of like with fear you know, we, we prefer to say, like, you know, we're worry, worry or anxious or stressed, right, instead of fear. All, all that's fear, worry, anxiety, stress, all that's fear. And God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. But we, we, we try to make it sound better by using other words. And, and so when we talk about being critical, just ask the Lord to help you. I'm asking him to help me. Um, and to be honest with you, and this may not be you, and I'm not, <laughs> I'm certainly not judging you if this is you, okay? Um, but I just came to a point that there are certain news channels and stuff that it, it's too many opportunities for me to take offense. It's too many opportunities for me um, to, to be critical and to judge and... Um, so that, that's, you know, when the Lord spoke to me, is like, you know, just because the person's obviously wrong doesn't give me the right to judge them. I am not their judge. I am not President Joseph Biden's judge. I am not his critic. You do realize critical, critic, criticize comes from critique, <laughs> right? Where you, you follow what I'm saying? I don't agree with his politics, I do not agree with his politics, okay? But that does not give me the right to judge him. It does not give me the right to criticize him. It does not give me the right. Are you hearing me? Now, I can do it. You can do it if you choose to do it. But it's going to cost us because our faith won't work in a, in a critical, judgmental heart. And I, th I think, you know, even when you look at the political climate, it's, this country's never been more divided. I, that's, see, that's such a 
dumb statement. We were like killing each other in the 1800s, right? The Civil War. So I guess we have been more divided. But I'm just talking about in my lifetime, I've never, I've never seen, and, and it's, it's like, um, it's like if, if, if a political party that you don't support is in power, you know, it's like open season on them. You know, let's just bash them and find everything we can find about them and, and, and criticize them. And we didn't like it when, when, when our conservative presidents were in power and they were doing that to them, you know, but what do, what, how are we different? That's one of the things that's associated with, with love and mercy and not judging Jesus asks, what, what do you do more than these? It's getting quiet up in here. That's okay. I'm not, I, I love you. I'm not trying to offend you. Please don't take offense at me trying to teach you about not taking offense, okay? But let it go from yourself. Just let it go. You know what I'm saying? Just, just, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you one of the things that's got, that, that I've had to let go I'm like, China needs to pay. <laughs> I mean, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I don't, you know, I have my opinions about this virus. And, and I don't think it was an accident. Matter of fact, I'll just about tell you straight up, it was not an accident. It was deliberate, intentional, and it was meant to weaken this nation, if not bring it to its knees. And, and. You know, so you're like, man, they got to pay. They, and whoa, so again, that's 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 God's job, right? That's that, thank you, sister. Just let it go. Let him. That doesn't mean we don't pray. That doesn't mean that we don't intercede. That doesn't mean we don't stand in the gap and all their stuff. But I can get so angry and frustrated and judgmental at some laboratory in Wuhan, China, right? It ain't affecting them at all, but it, it can kill me. That, that bitterness and, and, and that's what happens. See, this, the unforgiveness put, starts putting down roots and it becomes bitterness. And that's when the Bible says a whole lot of people become defiled. A whole lot of people become negatively impacted by that. The devil's not playing checkers, he's playing chess. And so that's, what, that's why we're seeing so many people who are so touchy and so easily offended. It's because it's, it's, it's bitterness in people's heart. They're bitter. They're bitter about all kinds of different things in their lives and so forth and so on. But you've got to just let it go. You've got to let it go from yourself, right? Let it go from yourself. It's amazing how freeing it is. Okay, stand with me. Praise God. Did you get anything out of this? All right. Okay, all right. So, Father, we want to have a heart like you because you have a merciful heart. Every morning your mercies are new towards us. Father, the things that you show mercy towards, the number of people that you have mercy for, Lord. Father, a desire on your part to, to, to see us get it right, and so you just keep showing us mercy upon mercy upon mercy. And Father, the one thing that, that, that you make so clear in your word is that the merciful get even more mercy from you. But if we judge, we'll be judged. And so, Father, help us to, to get out of that seat of judgment and the devil trying to manipulate us through people who've hurt us and wounded us into taking the offense, into the holding that indebtedness against them, remaining in a place... Of, of judgment towards them, Father. It's, it's, it's affecting us in ways that we have no comprehension of. So, Father, we forgive. We, we just we let it go. Doesn't mean it was okay. Doesn't mean they can do it again. Doesn't mean it was right for them to do what they did. Lord, we're just, we're just saying they don't owe us anything. That We're not expecting them to make it right. We're trusting you to make it right. We're trusting you, Father. If it's money, and if it's things a whole lot more serious and priceless than money, Father. Lord, you can make up years that have been stolen from us. You can make up, um, make right in our lives, Father, things that no amount of money could ever make right, no amount of time could ever make right. 
And so that's, that's, that's what we're focusing on now, Lord. Father, we pray for our president. We, we pray for his health. We pray for his um, mental well-being, Father. We pray that you would give him wisdom. Father, I, I know that in times past he has been very devout in his Catholic faith. And I know, Father, that he knows about you. I don't know if he knows you, if he's ever been born again or not. But, Lord, I know that a whole lot of the seed from your word has been planted in his heart. And I pray, Father, that that will start to spring up in him. Father, it's, a, it's, it's maybe the hardest job on planet Earth. And Lord, he is, he is in the thick of it right now. And we ask that you help him, Father. We ask that you speak to him and that he hear your voice. Father, where would the church be if nobody had ever prayed for a man named Saul? Where, would it, how many of us would not even be alive today had it not been for the spiritual heritage that, that descended from this man and his work on this planet. And yet, Father, he was enemy to the church number one back in the day. But somebody chose to be merciful and pray for him rather than hate him and criticize him and judge him. Lord, teach us your ways. Your ways require trust, Father. If we're going to do it your way, we've got to trust you. And we do, Lord. And we thank you, Father, for helping us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Tell somebody around you good things coming. We love you. Thank you for being here tonight. Blessings, blessings, blessings.